Welcome to the Socket Podcast. Socket helps you plug into you and unplug from things that no longer serve you. Find your voice and self-esteem while learning to say no and set boundaries when needed. Your host, Kathy Suber, is an entrepreneur and mom of two with a life lens of happiness. If living a life of authenticity, kindness, and confidence is something you are looking for, get ready to plug in. We are glad that you are here. everyone, and welcome to the Socket Podcast. Today, we are joined by one of my friends and also my son's orthodontist, Dr. Manal Ibrahim. Dr. Manal has been my son Nick's orthodontist for two phases of orthodontic work, um, and that can be braces, all can, also can be Invisalign. There's a whole world out there that I don't know much about. And on the branch, mom's community that I run, we get a lot of people asking, why why on earth kids that are seven, eight, nine, Manal will share more about it, why they get a first phase of, of orthodontic work. And so I just thought it'd be great to have her jump on here and be able to share her knowledge with us and why that's even a thing. Dr. Manal, thank you so much for joining us. How are you Thanks doing today? I'm great. Uh, always great to talk about teeth, right? <laughs> I right? know, it's like for you, you too. <laughs> People are like, oh, I hate to bore you with work. I'm like, I could talk about the spine all day. So yep, you know, let's, let's chat. <laughs> Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Yes. So um, I'm an orthodontist. I practice downtown Naperville. I am a wife married to uh, a dental person too, Dr. Lavaca. I have two boys. I can't even believe I'm saying their ages right now. They're 14 <laughs> and 15. Uh, we all know how kids grow up so quickly. And yeah. um, I can't believe it. Um, and, you know, I'm a juggling mom like everybody else. So with yeah. everything else that we got going on. I know you're, I know you're a busy lady and you're also very passionate. You're very passionate about what you do. You speak, you know, all over the country about Invisalign and, and being in practice. And I'm sure a lot of other things I don't even know about, but you're very well versed. You're very well respected. And I appreciate being able to learn a little bit more from you today about this. So I want to dive right in and start with at what age should a child be screened by their dentist or by you for needing orthodontic work in the future? When does that start? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, historically, we've always been told by our dentist growing up when I was a kid, you know, oh, you don't need to go to the orthodontist until all your adult teeth are in, which is typically around 12, 13. Um, but wouldn't you know that it's recommended actually to take your child at the age of seven to see an orthodontist? And that's the recommendation by our American Association of Orthodontists that kind of sets the ground rules for all of what we do. Okay. And I think that's probably when we took Nick. Our Nick had some unique challenges. Um, I'm a pediatric chiropractor because of Nick and his challenges. He had almost like a triangular shape um, palate, he had a very strange upper palate. He didn't eat any food till he was four and a half years old. So he had some unique mouth challenges, 
But we knew from a very early age that Nick was going to need braces. It was obvious in his teeth just from an early age. So I know we were a little bit more aware of it. And I knew you through the Chamber of Commerce in Naperville. And so brought, you, brought him in for a consultation and he went through a first phase of braces. I know things have changed a little bit where you do more Invisalign for this phase now, but he went through a first phase of braces. And I remember having people say to me, why on earth is your eight-year-old in braces? And he had a palate expander too. So can you share the, the concept behind that first phase of braces during those earlier years and about what age most kids get that? Absolutely. I will tell you, this is one of my sort of hot topics and I'm really passionate about this because it's so important to educate people about this. I think at face value, some people, a lot of people who haven't been exposed to why take a child at the age of seven, why do or early interventive orthodontic treatment, at first glance, it looks like, what? That doesn't even make sense to the <laughs> consumer or patient that doesn't know, but it makes so much sense. And I'm hoping to kind of convey some of these um, issues that we're addressing early on. So at the age of seven, you know, the child already has their six-year molars, their first permanent molars, and they should be starting to lose some of their front baby teeth and start to get some of their adult teeth. The goal is, gosh, at the age of eight, nine, we want every child to look age appropriate, right? So they should have their upper four and lower four adult front teeth. They would have three baby teeth, upper, lower, left and right and their permanent molars in the back. That's age appropriate. And that's kind of our goal is we want them to get those teeth in and, and kind of be able to function. So what we can do at the age of seven is evaluate every single child. Determine if the teeth that need to come in by the age of eight appear to be on that right path. We take an x-ray, we do a clinical exam, we take some photos because it's much easier to evaluate outside the mouth. We take a, an, a, like a scan, which is like a little video that allows us to kind of spin their teeth on the screen. And by doing that on an x-ray, it reveals so much, right? It shows you what the adult teeth are doing. Are they struggling to try and find a spot to come in? you see so much on the x-ray that you may not even recognize by just looking in the mouth. So our goal is, hey, if everything is appropriate, everything looks like it's developing well, everything appears to be okay, hey, come back and see me in a year, I'll do another checkup and another checkup until more of your adult teeth are growing in. And that's the child that everything's you know developing appropriately. But we can also determine struggles, right? So we can determine teeth that aren't going to be able to come in because there's overcrowding. We can also evaluate if there are habits. Now, a thumb sucking tongue thrust habit can cause the bones to start spreading away from one another. And that's something that we can determine early on and treat at that age because we would like to fix it the earlier, the better. We can determine if there's an underbite or a crossbite, which doesn't only, you know, not look normal, but it also can hinder the function. It can cause joint problems. It can cause chipping of the teeth. It can also affect somebody's being able to eat properly. So that's sure. really, really huge. Um, 
so there, those are some of the things that we screen for. And we look for severe crowding of some of those adult teeth coming in because if a seven-year-old is having trouble with overcrowding and overlapping of front teeth, they're not gonna be able to keep them straight, um, clean rather because they're not straight. And these are their forever teeth. So hygiene becomes incredibly important at this really young age. So if we see any of these areas, which we call risk factors, risk factors mean if I left this person the way they are today, is anything gonna become damaged, harmed? Is anything gonna not be able to develop properly? Are, are we setting them up for real difficulty in the next several years? Are their adult teeth gonna be able to come in? Um, those are the things that we're screening for. If okay. there are risk factors, we have so many simple approaches to do what we call interceptive treatment to resolve those issues and those areas of concern so that that patient can go through their normal development and get their teeth in the right way. Why do it early? Why not wait till, you know, they're 13 and do it? It is truly the difference between being proactive and reactive. If you wait until everything is in, you've got a lot of damage control and cleanup, which sometimes can be invasive, aggressive. Sometimes mm -hmm. it requires extraction of adult teeth. Sometimes a patient, your child, my child, would have endured a lot of discomfort because food is packing or their bite's really uncomfortable or their joint hurts. And remember, kids don't really know that that's not normal. They may not complain about it, but they surely are dealing with it. And those are some of the things that we wanna avoid. Um, you have to realize at the age of seven, eight, nine, the jaws are so much moldable than sure. even a teenager, right? So of course, an adult, but even a teenager, your bones are moldable. Your sutures aren't fused. They typically start to fuse at puberty. So the teeth also move in a more, um, ready way. They're, they're easy to move, less discomfort. So jumping in and putting in those corrective fixes truly is so much easier. And then you kind of set that child up for some really nice development from there. Um, I will tell you that also some of these things create an incredible psychosocial enhancement for the young people where we don't really know it, but they're, they're hindered psychosocially. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, thumb sucking creates a giant open bite of the front teeth and it, it does not create a great smile. Um, <laughs> they're always pushing their tongue forward. So spit doesn't come out. They're not able to make the normal speech sounds. And that does create insecurity. Sometimes somebody might have bucked out front teeth at the age of eight and kids make fun of them. So the psychosocial aspect is really important as well. Um, coupled with the fact that digestion happens in the mouth first. And so if someone isn't able to incise and shred food properly with their front teeth or chomp down and break it really well with their back teeth, they're swallowing food in bigger pieces of bolus and your stomach's not designed to, to handle that. So it pumps out acids there. Sometimes the patient experiences, you know, regurgitation, acid reflux, discomfort, gases, 
kids can't express that. They don't know that that's not normal. Um, even adults most often don't realize these things are because of how their teeth are, let alone a child. So yeah. there are just, you know, a multitude of benefits that someone that has some of these issues early on um, can gain if we diagnose early and if we're proactive, putting quick fixes and really get them on that right path. That was a really long answer for no, but question. it's. There, there, there are, there's so many components of it, right? It's, you think about what you just laid out and it's not just, oh, we just need to expand the palate so the teeth come in so we don't have to pull teeth, right? Yeah. In my mind, that was probably the primary and maybe one of the only main components of why you do this early. But when you're talking yeah. about, you know, mastication and chewing and not being able to chew pieces up small enough to then get it to the next phase of our digestive tract where the body normally takes it in at a, cer at a certain phase of already being chewed up enough. I mean, you sent off a whole, a whole different system in our bodies that weren't, like you said, we're not able to process that food correctly. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, a couple of things that come to mind and as a pediatric chiropractor and also someone who does a lot of cranial work, when, when you have a child that you end up at 13 or 14 having to pull teeth to be able to then get the child embraces or Invisalign and straighten out the teeth, you are affecting the entire cranial system and you are affecting tissue that is super close to our nervous system, our central nervous system. And so while I don't believe I'm an expert on exactly the, the nuances of what that, what that means specifically to that, that area, Anytime you're going to affect that area in such a big way to remove something that's supposed to be there, you are going to directly affect some pressure, some inflammation, and you can disrupt you can disrupt that area. And I then see patients that are having neuromuscular or neurological issues with cranial nerves um, coming from those extractions. Sometimes with wisdom teeth, I get it as well. I've had a couple of cases where a, a patient will get like a Bell's palsy or something with the facial nerve or um, numerous issues. But I just think being proactive and balancing things out in the easiest way, like you said, the bone structure hasn't even kind of officially solidified yet. So we have that ease of movement from our body that makes it much easier to try to do it than when they're older and those things have already fused. Yes, and one other point to make with that too, Dr. Kathy, is something that I'm you know, really growing more interested in um, and really, really is another one of my, you know, newer passions is the whole sleep apnea, mm -hmm. you know, dilemma that we all are now facing, right, with adults and, and young people. And if we think about sleep apnea, snoring, it all has to do with the tongue position relative to the airway. And your lower jaw the tongue connects to the lower jaw. So if there's anything in the mouth causing that lower jaw to be pushed back yep. any further than it wants to be or needs to be, the tongue is so close to that airway and really quickly obstructs. So sometimes it could be as simple as your two front teeth grow in really, really straight. So in profile, they're so vertical. Your lower jaw 
just has nowhere to go. It's mm. like trying to come forward <laughs> and it's got nowhere to go. So it's really restrained back. Yeah. And that causes the tongue to be pushed back close to the airway. And so some of these little kids with snoring, sleep apnea, it has everything to do with the position of their two front teeth, get the two front teeth where they need to be. And boom, the lower jaw can go through its normal growth that it has, you know, genetically, as well as give it the opportunity to move away from that airway obstruction. And, you know, I've been treating a lot of adults who have sleep apnea, who have joint, oh, severe problems, horrible. And I've seen a pattern of people who have had that, you know, restrained lower jaw pushed back that, you know, really does a job on the joint and, or, you know, the, the airway. And so I've noticed that bringing them forward changes their whole life. And they say, oh my God, I can't believe it took me 50 years (laughs) to realize that I just had to move my teeth, you know? And so I've kind of started to apply that to young patients that I've always wanted to take their two front teeth out and give them that freedom for their jaw to move where it needs to. But now I'm kind of connecting the dots and realizing, hey, and by doing this, it also, you know, maybe doesn't lock them into that position where then I'm, we're doing everything we can to make sure that we can avoid the sleep apnea and snoring, yeah. which can cause bedwetting. It can go, cause and will cause lack of growth because you're not getting into REM sleep and growth hormone isn't being released. I mean, this whole thing is so tied in together. And what, what's amazing to be me about orthodontics and why I love this field so much is that the body is all connected. It's all connected people, you know, I know you're talking and I'm like, I see kids for bedwetting and one of them, there's two adjustments that tend to work the best for it is the cranial adjustment, which actually affects a torque of the entire nervous system all the way down to the sacrum. And then a low back adjustment, making sure the pelvis is off because the, the nerves that go to the, the sphincter muscles that hold in urine actually come from the spine. And so when you're not to get on my soapbox. No, no, it's when, just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. When, when, um, when you're awake, you have voluntary and involuntary control of whether or not you go to the bathroom, right? You can feel that you have to go and you can physically or, or um, mentally not go. And then you sit down and you release it. Well, when you're in deep sleep, you are, you are dependent on the strength of the muscles that hold that urine in. And if there's a weakness from the nervous system to those muscles, it just keeps it open and and it can cause bedwetting. So then I start hypothesizing when you're saying like, wow, what if it's an orthodontic problem that causes a cranial problem because the sphenoid bone comes into the TMJ joint and is a part of it and is a part of the, you know, the mandibular area as well. What if that is one of the components that starts that or which come first, the chicken or the egg? Is it a sphenoid misrotation that can affect a jaw or, a, or a, you know, teeth and, and jaw issues and mandible and maxillary issues? Like which came first? Oh, it's so interesting. It is. It, I mean, and it, it really is. It's one body. Yeah. It's all connected. So it, there, we have to think outside the box and think beyond our own area of focus just because we hammer have a hammer 
doesn't mean the only thing there is, is a nail, right? There's so much more that we have to really evaluate. And, you know, I, this is just really, really fascinating to me because it affects everything about a person. Yeah. Um, And it starts with kids. I mean, and that's kind of the topic of today, but, you know, fast forward to an adult who's had this their whole life, they've had these issues and, you know, we just got to dig deep and not band-aid everything, but we've got to know the diagnosis. Yeah. Why? Why? Don't just treat the source. Where is it actually coming from? Where is it coming from? And what are those corrective fixes that I can implement to check off all the things that I'm seeing or determining need fixing, right? Yeah. Um, So I'm really passionate about, you know, being proactive, get that child checked out at the age of seven. Let's see what's going on, not just in the mouth, on the x-ray, let's do an oral exam and kind of like start to be thinking, how is this child going to go through the aging process? You know, not just at the age of 10, right? 20, 30, 50. Uh, That's what we need to do. And, you know, there are plenty of dental professionals that don't do this, not because of any reason, but think about everything we know. It's our training, right? So if my trainer knew it, they're going to train me on it. If my trainer didn't know it, know it, then I'm not going to know it because my trainer didn't know it. And that's just how we learn. So I think I was really blessed and had the opportunity to do my Um, orthodontic training at NYU in, you know, New York. And that was very close to the time when these new recommendations were kind of brought out by the American Association of Orthodontists, because no one ever looked at a seven-year-old. Are you kidding? That was, (laughs) I mean, it sounds a little, if you don't know anything about it, you're like, yeah, that doesn't sound right. It doesn't seem like, like it doesn't make sense, but they did all these studies to see, okay, why did do so many adults have to have jaw surgery? Why, why did so many adults have four teeth pulled? Why, why did so many adults who had orthodontics had a lot of really involved treatment? Remember orthodontics when I was growing up, I mean, it could take five years. Oh, I, I had braces for five and a half years. Now, granted, I was a thumb sucker. Great. Yeah. And, and I had, I had buck teeth. So you talk about the social emotional aspect of it, which I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't even, I don't really remember back then, but I don't remember feeling embarrassed about it, but yeah, I, I, I just, I well, just you're a confident. But they but, had to even in speech, I had speech problems because yeah, of it. Speech. Yeah. yeah. They had to teach me to say my S's to this day. I say my S's with my tongue on my bottom teeth because yeah. I couldn't on my top teeth because they were sticking out. Yeah. I could stick my tongue through my actual teeth if they were closed. It was yeah. super, super yeah. yeah. I mean, these are some of those things. So that's where, I, I mean, I didn't make this stuff up. I was yeah. lucky that my trainers were trained on this and they trained me on it. And I will tell you that, you know, I've learned a lot, you know, since the 2000, early 2000, when I started doing early treatment, and I really did learn what to look for, because you don't have to treat everything at 
at the age of seven. Remember, sure. they're not supposed to be Hollywood perfect at that age. You know, some teeth come in crooked. That's life. That's what's going to happen. There's spaces. That's okay. They're not designed to be perfect at the age of seven, eight, nine. There's, they still have baby teeth to lose. They have to have a tremendous amount of jaw growth. That's okay. What we want to identify are those risk factors that, hey, we have an opportunity right now. If we jump in, put in yeah. a active action, we're going to control their really important formative years between 10 to 12 when their adult teeth come in. That's the opportunity that we don't want to miss. That's it, awesome. Yeah. I, I have another question. Does that help prevent cavities when you do that? If you're taking away the overcrowding situation or providing an opportunity for the teeth to come in without being overcrowded? And that's an amazing question because I think a lot of people think orthodontics equals a pretty smile. Yeah. They think orthodontics is just to have a good look, right? Orthodontics is all about getting your bite right, getting the teeth right, getting them straight, no spaces, no crowding. Yes, you're always going to get a great smile, but it's for functional and health reasons. Hmm. You want to be able to floss and brush. If your teeth are crooked, food gets jammed in there and you can't properly floss and brush. If you're, if you have an underbite or a crossbite, your teeth are going to chip. That's a functional problem. Um, if you have an open bite, your back teeth are doing all the work. They're going to break down. That's a functional problem. Yes. We always get an aesthetic result because we straighten the teeth. So you have a pretty smile. Right. That's always, that's like the cherry on top, right? But <laughs> the underlying goal for an orthodontist to treat anybody of all ages is to make sure that we have excellent health and function. It's mm. all about getting the bases amazing. Then we can create the great smile and maintain it because we can floss, brush, make sure we don't get cavities. We don't get periodontal disease. Remember periodontal like bone loss and you know, gum tissue recession absolutely can be caused by a bad bite. A pounding bite can make you lose the bone around a tooth and the gum recession. So this is where it starts at the young age to try to control all of those things. Proactive. We yeah. love proactive. <laughs> I don't like, I'm forced. We're all forced in our lives to be reactive, right? Because we can't plan for everything, but Anytime we can be proactive, especially with a young person's everything, right? Yeah. We, we want to be proactive and that's really the goal here. Well, I, I love that. And, I, you know, I posed that question about, about cavities and I didn't really expect the, the, that answer that it's actually more about function, right? Because, I mean, mm -hmm. to be honest, how many parents come in at wanting to spend money on the, they don't, maybe I don't understand how much the function is affected by that. What they're looking for is my child's teeth don't look good, right? I mean, would you say more people come in for the aesthetics? To be honest, I'm really impressed with people today mm. because I feel that people today are really well-versed and really in tune with you know, self-improvement. Um, I am really finding that a, more people are coming in for function and health rather than a great smile. That's my finding with parents that bring their seven-year-olds, their teens, or bring themselves in for a consult. And so it, it's, it makes me happy, but I always have to tell them, hey, this is more about 
the function and the health of your teeth and your body and your system, you're always going to get a great smile. That's going to come. That's part of it. But do this because you value the health and function and well-being of your whole body. That's really important. And young people, they have to understand that too. They're going to participate more, be more involved and value it more if they know it's for their own well-being. And that's, that's really important. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Me too. Thank thank you so much for coming on to, to explain this. I know we, like I said, in the beginning, we get so many questions about it and, you know, some, some parents assuming that it's more of a money-making type of thing. And I always kind of chime in and say, you know, actually really structurally, it's much better to, to get in this area while the teeth can still be moved, while the jaw still has movement, um, while, while you can expand something so you don't have to pull teeth, which is not a great thing to do. So Yes. And I, I will just add one more thing, because if we get off and I forget to mention this, <laughs> I will be like, oh, I can't believe I didn't say it. But a parent might think, well, what does early treatment mean for a child? What does phase one mean? What does interceptive mean? So typically we want the treatment for a seven, eight or nine year old to be done, done, done by nine months, a year at the most. Okay. Remember we have a short window to go in and make those fixes because starting at the age of 10, typically they're going to start to lose some of their remaining 12 baby teeth um, that we need to make adult tooth movements happen. Mm. So starting at seven is ideal. The closer we get to 10, oh, they may not be a candidate anymore for those fixes. Okay. So we want to be in and out in nine months. Starting at the age of seven is better than starting at nine because okay. we can really accomplish what we need to. We have a set set of goals for phase one. We have goals. We're not just fixing the world, right? We get in, we fix it, we're done. Boom. What does it mean? It could mean only an expander, which is an orthopedic appliance. It means jaw changing. It has nothing to do with the teeth. It does make room for uninterrupted adult teeth. It does change the jaw, which in effect changes the teeth, but it's not moving the individual teeth the way braces do. So it might mean an expander only for the top, which could be a six month treatment, no retainer. We do not expand the lower jaw because expansion requires we separate sutures. The lower is one bone. There's no suture unless it's broken. Please don't break a jaw. So (laughs) we don't use expanders in the lower, just the upper because we can separate the sutures. Upper expander, six months, no retainer. If we need tooth movement, then we either use braces or Invisalign for the seven, eight, and nine-year-old, which all in all then would still be under that nine-month mark. Do we place upper and lower braces? We do. We may if we need to. We, we typically orthodontists are going to put braces where they need to make the changes. So it, yeah. it's just a matter of control. What do we yeah. need to do to get the goals accomplished? Um, and that's usually kind of what it, it takes. Now, we can sometimes see a top jaw that's sunken in where if we treat it now, the patient wouldn't need jaw surgery in the future. So a top jaw that's sunken in, there is a special appliance called face mask with an upper expander that literally at the age of seven can grow your jaw in a way that genetics did not have the growth for that person. So Hmm. we can avoid jaw surgery by doing some 
orthopedic correction with some appliances at the, that young age that, that makes these great changes that will last their lifetime. So yeah. that's kind of what, what orthodontics looks like for a young patient. It's not two years of treatment typically, unless they're really super complex. And usually they, they either get a retainer that might last six months or a year. They don't get a forever retainer the way a teenager or an adult does because their teeth are changing out and their jaws are going to start growing at the age of 10 a little bit. Okay. So, so I have a follow-up question. When yes. you have a child that needs a phase one, or you believe that from your workup that they need phase one intervention, um, if you do the phase one, let's say it's nine months, does that then tighten up or shorten the time of phase two sometimes? Had like had that same child never gotten the phase one and just went to phase two when they were 12, would their braces time or their Invisalign time be longer had they not had this, this correction earlier on? So to be really fair in answering that question, it's a really hard question and I get this question all the time. It is so individualized based on the patient's jaw type and what's happening with their teeth. But I will say that the majority of patients do experience a phase two treatment, which is treatment of the adult teeth that is um, less invasive, less aggressive, um, it may not re require, you know, an appliance because you might've used it quickly in phase one. Now they don't need it. Um, it, it can eliminate extractions in yep. the majority of time it does. Um, if we can avoid extractions of adult teeth, of course, we, we try to do that. Um, still, some people need extractions, but it, it can and oftentimes does. But there are plenty of patients that have just a lot of complex issues some of them you cannot address until they're a teenager, but okay. separate yep. out what I can address early on, we address them and then boom, we're done with that. And now they're way ahead of where they could have been going into their age 10, 11 and into their teen treatment. Well, and I appreciate that answer. And as a chiropractor, I get all asked all the time. Let's say if someone, two patients, same age, come in with the same exact, let's say low back pain with sciatica go, going down the right leg. I can do the exact same treatment. We can offer the same physical therapy, the same massage therapy with the same therapist with almost this very similar adjustments. And one might be better in two visits and one might take three weeks. So there's, there's so many, you know, other factors that yeah. go into healthcare and everyone's body is so different and there's so many yeah. different nuances. Yeah. And I think it's, it is a great question. And I think that if parents are really smart and they know sort of like what they're coming in with, you know, and when you kind of go through the detail at that first visit, we're almost spot on saying, Hey, these are what, these are the things that we're going to really take care of now. And they get it. They're like, yeah, makes perfect sense. When you get through the treatment phase one, parents almost always say to me, you know, all my friends said I was crazy for putting braces <laughs> on Johnny at the age of seven. But look at him now. Now I get it. Now I see it. Yeah. When parents go through the process, if they've never seen it before, boom, it's like, oh, I get it now. Now I see. <laughs> and they see it month by month because it's just this really nice change, whether it's Invisalign or braces, um, they get it. It makes perfect sense. It is hard to imagine 
but when they go through it, they see those changes and they know that reward that they gave their child, you know? Yeah. I hate yeah. to use child because it's so childish, but they're young <laughs> say they're young one. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're young, almost teenagers. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to explain. That's a weird, yeah. that's a weird age, right? It is. Yeah. They're <gasps> tweeners. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I learned a lot. I, I thought you were going to say all these things that I knew, but I did. I took a couple <laughs> tidbits away myself, so I appreciate it. And it also does make me think, man, there's going to be, there are definitely patients I see that I need to refer into you. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to kind of take some time to think about that as to what am I actually looking for to make sure that I can make a great referral to you. So, um, and, and especially with that chewing, man, that, and, and, the, and the food, the actual processing of food, I never really thought about that. And that seems silly because that's why we have teeth to begin with. But anyway, <laughs> so if someone wants to reach um, your practice, what's the best way for them to oh. find you? Okay, sure. Um, email is amazing. We love email. And it's info at innovativeorthocenters.com. I know it's kind of long. That's all right. Well, I'll include it in the notes so people can That'd go back to the, yeah. to the notes on the podcast or the YouTube channel and, and be able to find you. So. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I yeah. hope that I gave um, moms some insight and info on this really important you know, item of discussion that I do see a lot um, on your Facebook group. And I always want to chime in and make a lot of comments, but a lot of times it just, it's it, this is what we need that face-to-face conversation. Cause it's, it's, it's a lot to explain Right, right. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Well, thank, thank you for all you do. And I look forward to seeing you soon. And to all of you, thanks for tuning into the socket podcast. We hope you have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to the socket podcast. Looking for more gratitude, confidence, and happiness in your life? Check out our website, www.simplysocket.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Simply Socket. And remember, be unapologetically you. It's a waste of energy to be anything else.